0: I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. Chili's, baby back ribs. Barbecue sauce.
1: Zach, we got a hot take on Chili's. We do, we do. Chili's is America's greatest settle restaurant. Yes, I hope you didn't think we were about to say greatest restaurant. It's not. Not What do we mean by greatest settle restaurant? So, Zach, let's say you're going in a group. Odds are you're not going to Chili's unless you're in a group of six or more.
0: Yeah, we were in a group of six last night. Yep. You, yeah.
1: And you know why this is, is because you have a multitude of opinions coming in. Right. And so someone will always come in saying they want something like Texas Roadhouse or yep. Cheesecake Factory, a higher end restaurant. Right. And then you'll always have the other person in the group that says, why don't we go for a Whataburger or a yeah. Chicken Express? Which Chicken Express okay. is always a oh, great option.
0: Chicken Express is amazing.
1: That's a whole nother topic. But these people will almost always converge on chilies, yeah, and like someone throws out chilies,
0: and both camps are like, hmm. "eh." That's no one's like, "yes, I yeah. love chilies." I, I don't want to say no one, but I've never met anyone that is just a fanatic of chilies. No, it's a settle. They're restaurant. few and far between. It's a
1: settle restaurant. That's okay. I think chilies knows their brand. I think they do too, because their branding is confusing. It's very confusing. You walk in. Or you're walking up to the door and you just right. see a fat, fat chili on the top. And you're like, this is a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> right. Then you open the door. <laughs> you hear a welcome to chili. <laughs> <Welcome to Chili's. laughs> you hear a welcome to Chili's. And you look to your right in the Chili's that we went to. And there's just a big bar with a ton of TVs with sports. Right. And then you look to your left and you see a table with chips and salsa. But also on that same table, there's cheese fries. Right. And so. You just kind of initially are confused. Yeah. You just don't know if they're going for the Mexican restaurant vibe or if they're going more for an American. I think they're
0: just an unfortunate crossbreed. Right. Because I can look. We we get two for twenty five. Yes. Which is a a whole. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll get there. But on your entree options, you can get a steak. You can get a burger. You can get quesadillas. Mm -hmm. Or you can get shrimp in. Pasta, like Italian. An Italian dish. It's like, what what are y'all trying to be? What are we doing here? Who's the chef? Right. Well, first of all, props to chili chefs. Yeah. Those guys are versatile. Versatile. They can cook anything. They can. I mean, but let's go back. Yeah, yeah. To the two for 20. So
1: Zach and I discovered this deal our freshman year. Right. And it was called the two for
0: 20. Right. And it's like it rolls off the tongue well. Two for twenty. It's good. Two for twenty. We like were known as the two for twenty for yeah. a little while. Yeah, we were actually our friendship because of our friendship. And then I think it was. Spring semester of sophomore year. Yep, we go back to Chili's and we're like, "Dude, you want to be my two for twenty guy?" And here? we were like, duh, "Of course, who am I?" And then we open the menu and it says, "We were slapped across
1: the face, two for twenty-two, unacceptable." We're like, "What? What has happened here?" It, it was the two for twenty. It was our it was our safe place for the for the restaurant that wasn't safe for us. Right, it's like it's ten bucks a pop. Right, we're good. Now it's eleven. Right, and that's. D- don't mock us here. Okay. No. That's a whole dollar that we could have spent elsewhere. We're
0: down at the road in a college. Yes. What do you expect from what us? do you
1: two for 22 was an outrage, but it, it just worse. doesn't in there because yesterday we went to Chili's right. and we turned our menu to what we thought would be the two for 22. Right. What did it say? Zach two for 25 outrageous. That is unreal. Inconceivable and unbelievable. We like Chili's. We have to fix that. We need to fix it. Go we, back to how it was. Please. The good old days. The good old days of the the appetizers, the entree and, and the dessert. They did add a three for 10. Yeah. Which we didn't do because we're loyal. Right. But one of the three in the three for 10 is a drink. Right. It's, a, it, yeah, it's not a dessert. Right. But Zach, you actually have a fond love. I do. Of one of Chili's
0: beverages. Dude. Chili's lemonade is unmatched. I can't attest because I just didn't know it was a thing. I didn't even try yours yesterday. I wish you would have told me that. But it I'd might be Minute made. I don't know. But it's like <laughs> so good. And it's a childhood thing. My family and another family would always go to Chili's after church because okay. it's like a settle restaurant. Yeah. And every, no one could decide where they actually wanted exactly. to go. Yeah. Every kid in our families got lemonade. And so it got to a point where we went so much and this happened so much that our waiter would see us walk in and he would, instead of giving us pictures of water for our table, he'd give us pictures of lemonade Unreal. so we could refill our own. It was awesome. That's awesome. And even last night when we went, I sent a picture in a group text of those same kids who are grown up now, a picture of my lemonade cup and they all sent back, that's Chili's lemonade. Still the best. Yeah. It's so good. Like some people like. Chick-fil-A's and it's okay. I think it's a little much for me. Okay. Some people like take, but- Subway's. I don't think Subway's is enough for me. Like enough Tang. Okay. But then Chili's lemonade. It's unreal. You have to try it. If, and if you do try it, please let me know. I yeah.
1: love it. I love it so much. I'm planning on trying it next time I go. And Zach, ultimately I think we're coming to the conclusion that Chili's is. It's just okay. It's a Jack of all trades. But a master of one. Yes. And we haven't gotten to that part yet, but there is one thing that Chili's just mastered. I think we both
0: can agree. We both. know. let's say it on three. One, two, three. Molten Molten lava lava cake. cake. Oh, oh my goodness. Within the two for twenty five deal, you can get the entrees and appetizers and then you also get a dessert. Yeah. Don't be deceived by the menu
1: because actually the molten lava cake is not available. When you first look at it, you have to add two dollars. But so we had we had (laughs) a two for twenty-seven. We did. This is ridiculous. ridiculous. It's getting out of hand.
0: But anyways. The molten lava cake is amazing. It's served on a circular plate. They put it in between us and it's just it's almost like a a supersized bunt cake. Yep. With an ice cream scoop on top. Uh Uh-huh. Fudge and caramel. Falling and rolling off the side. Yeah. Rolling and f- cascading, it, cascading off the side. And then a chocolate shell over yep. the ice
1: cream, just straight up turtle shell on that.
0: It. I kind of had to hit pretty hard. Yeah. Myself. I mean, I, I had, I took me three hits before I actually cracked through it. And the cake is warm. The ice cream is chilly and it just creates. Was that a, a pun? <laughs> maybe. Okay. It just creates an explosion of awesomeness yeah, in your mouth. Absolutely. And it was unreal. Now, I will say you
1: can kind of tell that the cake was a little Debbie's or something. You just, you can. I can just envision the chef cracking open a pre-packaged brown, like brown chocolate cake, right? And
0: I'm okay with it. It was so good. They
1: heated up perfectly in the microwave.
0: I know it wasn't too hot. It, it wasn't, wasn't too, too cold. cold. Yeah, it was just right. It was settling at just the right temp temperature, just like chilies. Yeah,
1: it's just it's the ultimate subtle restaurant. That's what you we're going to end on. And Zach, as as Zach and I were. Diving into our molten lava cake, we just kind of both took our first bite, leaned back, arms on our stomach and said,
0: Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderberg, Here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. How are we feeling, Coop? The only thing that can make me better right now is if a molten lava cake were to fall out of the sky. I would. Well... Nope, didn't nope, happen. Nothing. Didn't happen. Cool, we got a great episode. I'm I'm just not surprised. Like I always say, I it's your favorite one. My favorite. Yeah. It, it might be. This is Raymond Harris. Raymond is a Dallas native. He's a big yep. DU fan. Uh he um actually won our Free Enterprise Award yeah. years ago. Pretty cool. But he is an architect in Dallas. Yes. He started his architecture firm in Dallas when he was 27 years old and grew it. Sheesh and then sold it to some younger partners, which he talks about and then stays on with them and works for them. Hmm. And he's just like an amazing guy. So humble is a giver talks about all the, the places he's given money to and, and just, business as he started. And we talk about his book. He wrote a book recently called Business by Design. Yeah. It's taking Jesus's parables and what Jesus taught about and applying it to business principles that he used in his architecture. Which program. is important. It's amazing. Yeah. It's fascinating. I read the book. I'd encourage anybody uh, out there listening to go buy the book, but it's just fascinating. It is.
1: Yeah. It's really cool to see the integration of faith into business right. and not trying to come up with his own concepts or whatever, but taking the teachings of Jesus and not twisting them or,
0: or changing them, but applying them to a business setting. Right. We talk about that a lot. He's like, I didn't want to be a guy that they work in the church. I work in business, right? We don't cross, right? It's like, I don't run a Christian organization. I'm a Christian running a business.
1: And that's something that I'm personally super passionate about of just Christians needing to be excellent in the
0: business world, right? As followers of Christ, I think we're called to be excellent. Right. I truly believe the prerequisite for sharing your faith in the business world is being excellent at what you do. Because yeah. if you're good at what you do, people will listen. If you're just floating in the business world and you're trying to share your faith with someone, no one respects you. Right. No one's going to listen. You don't have a voice. But this guy has a voice because of what he's done, what he's accomplished. And he's actually, I can guarantee you that everyone listening to this has been in a building he designed. Wow. I'm not going to tell you how, because he tells you how. Okay. But I can guarantee you, everyone listening, including you and me, have walked into a building he designed. Wow. uh, I'm amazed by that. Wow. Okay. So I'm just saying... Here he is, Raymond Harris. Well, Raymond, thank you so much for for doing this and being here with us. I'm excited to talk to you. First, start by just introducing yourself. How did you get to where you are? What's kind of your story? Uh, I feel like everyone, not not many people know who you are, but they know what you've done indirectly. So kind of explain that and and introduce yourself. Thank you,
2: Zach. Uh, I'm Raymond Harris, and I'm... Uh, by profession, an architect. I've been an architect for 40 years, practiced that long. I started a firm when I was 27 years old and uh, owned that firm until I sold it to younger partners uh, who took over the reins and run it. Uh, I joke around and say that most everyone I've ever met have been in a project that we've designed or remodeled, and people look at me kind of strange. And I say, well, if you've ever been a Walmart or Sam's, we've either... Uh, designed or remodeled almost all of them in the country at one point over the last 30 right. years. But uh, probably more importantly than that, I feel like that God had given me an ability to develop a, a company or a firm, which I call an economic engine, to be able to become a steward of God's kingdom. And um, so simultaneously of, of being an architect and running a firm, I look for ways to deploy assets and time uh, in projects that would serve God's kingdom.
0: Right. And throughout this time of you learning that and and growing in business, by the end of your career, you've written two books right now and working on a third, no spoilers there. But the book we want to really talk about and what I finished reading is Business by Design. So what prompted you to write this book? Uh, Where did the idea come from and what did that process look like?
2: Well, my audience was the young men and women between 25 and 35 years old. Um, I wanted to share with them what I would want to know when I was that age. Right. Uh, I've roamed around uh, bookstores and looked online for books that will tell us, how do we operate in God's kingdom? What, what is God's design for business? Now, there are a lot of books out there on finance, on management, certainly a jillion books on leadership. But how do you put it all together? And um, I just didn't find anything there uh, that really uh, satisfied my, uh, my craving. And I think all men and women should seek wisdom. So I was seeking wisdom, and I thought, well, uh, if there's nothing out there, why don't you read God's Word and see what it says to how to do that? And so I spent about a five-year period going through the Gospels, and gleaning out everything I could find in the four uh, gospels, what did Jesus teach about business? And so I just took notes, and the book came as a result of that. And the primary audience is uh, folks that are in working God's kingdom, both in for profit and not for profit business, whether you're in ministry or a church, it doesn't matter. Everything in God's economy uh, relates to the gospels.
0: Right. And you kind of mentioned it in there, the God's economy. You, you the, the point you make is there's a difference between the world's economy and the God and God's economy. Difference right. in priority, difference in revenue, anything. So kind of establish that foundation. What is the difference between the world's economy and God's economy?
2: Well, I think we're defined by the world's economy by what we do and what we accomplish. And so men and women will uh, seek to de- develop wealth. Uh, some of them seek to develop fame and fortune. But, uh, in God's economy, I think he is more concerned with who we become, not what we do. And so it's the righteous character of the heart that I think God is most in, in, impressed with in our lives. And so I think in God's economy, you do things that develop the heart, uh, the things for the heart of what's on God's heart. And, uh, you do that through business. I mean, um, God is the creator of business and gave us a command to, to be uh, busy about his kingdom. And so we don't have to be in ministry to be about God's kingdom or, uh, you know, have a higher purpose. It's, uh, as I say on the back of the book, it just says, you know, uh, that uh, you don't need to quit your day job mm-hmm. uh, to serve God.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love what you said there is that you don't have to be in ministry to be about God's work. And I think that's where a lot of people get mixed up is where I'm in the business world and you're in ministry and those are separate and we can't mend those. We can't mix those. How in your business, growing up in an architecture firm throughout the years, how did you combine or mesh your ministry with the business or the economic engine that you were running?
2: Well, you know, some people will automatically say, well, I want to tell everyone I'm a Christian. We want to have Bible studies, prayer groups, and stuff like that. And that's not really uh, realistic or practical in a business. I actually don't have a Christian business. I am a Christian running a business. Mm -hmm. The people that work with me uh, can be Christians or not. It doesn't really matter. I hired the best employees uh, in the past that I could. Uh, We had all different faiths. Uh, We had people from 22 countries that worked for us at one time. Uh, We had all kinds of ethnicities. We had folks that had sexual preferences that were different than mine. And that's all fine because I want them to work in an environment that will follow God's laws. And as they would come to work for me, I would say, I understand and love God the best I know how, and I follow his principles the best I know how. And you'll be under my authority, and you'll need to know that I will uh, treat you and love you and take care of you, but you will also be under my authority to follow the rules that God sets forth in his word. And if you don't like that, then this would not be a good place, but everyone says we want to be under that because we know it's good and healthy for us. And to our
0: benefit. Right. And that's really what we want to talk about in this episode is how to be a Christian running a business. And that's what your book really lays out. So this business by design is is working in, in God's economy, not the world's. God has an ultimate business theme, and then he also has an ultimate design for business. And that's what we want to walk through. But I think a, a good just foundation to build off of is this idea of absolute truth, that there's an absolute truth that you have to base your business off op- of off of. And without that, as a benchmark for your business, there's just this ocean of uncertainty of what you talk about. So talk about where your absolute truth is found and how that applies to your business.
2: Well, the only absolute truth comes from God himself, and that is obviously uh, revealed in his written word, which is alive. And there, without God, there is not absolute truth. We, hmm. we see our society. In our culture, uh, trying to say there is no absolute truth that the truth is what you make it or what you feel, and that becomes a very slippery slope. It's it's like the cliffs slough off, and there's no um, there's no foundation to grab hold of. There's no no anchoring into anything, and that's very uncertain and it's very insecure for people, and that's driving a lot of people into anxiety and depression because they don't have. An anchor into the truth. Uh, God's truth is is simply laid out in the Bible. The sixth grader can read it and understand it. Uh, the most learned theologian will be challenged by it. So it's, it's alive. It's not something that you can read and comprehend the first time you read it. You can't get to the depths of the truth. It's like sand um, falling into a hole. You'd keep digging it out and the truths keep pouring into it.
0: Right, and well, something you mentioned in there is it's about what you feel. If you don't have this absolute truth, it's you're driven by your feelings, which mm-hmm. lead to this anxiety and depression. Absolutely. So, as a business owner, as an architect in your firm, as a leader, how do you fight falling into the depths of what you feel and, and knowing your truth and not falling emotions? Because I feel that's what a lot of people are falling into.
2: Yeah, you know, I think I think for me as a as a leader of our firm in the years that I led it, um, I would understand basic. Biblical truth and principles. So I started reading Proverbs and the Gospels to find out what are the principles to operate by. A good example is servant-hearted leadership is a biblical principle. So you serve others, uh, not only your clients, but your um, employees. That's a biblical principle of serving, and that that makes you humble, and it makes you a servant the way Jesus taught us to be a servant. Uh, don't spend any more than you make. You know that's a principle because you don't want to go into debt. Because if you go into debt, you become slave to a lender, and so that's another biblical principle. It's a financial principle that's taught, but it's a it's a business principle. Mm-hmm. And so many businesses get in trouble because they don't follow that very simple principle of spending less than they make, and they go they go into debt. Uh, there are. Uh, principles like that that are pretty simple, but right. if you follow them, uh, those are truths, and they will they will keep you. It gives security to my employees uh, when they see me not going into debt, or they see that I serve them and take care of them, or I do what's in their best interest. Um, if if you act out of self-interest, employees will know that. If you act out of interest of that employee, they sense that as well, and then mm-hmm. they will be dedicated to you and serve you.
0: I love that. I love just seeking out those biblical uh, truths or even those stories. Because if you read your book, I wish we had time to go through every example that you okay. gave, because there were pages I kept flipping through. I was like, when is this guy going to stop just, just doing this? It's, it's so good. But there's one I picked out that I think is huge for God's economy, and it's the idea of integrity from Luke 16, 10. If you're faithful with little, you'll be trusted and faithful in much. I kind of break that down for you. How do you lead yourself when no one else is looking? What does integrity look like in your business?
2: Well, I, I like the saying that you will uh, you do it when no one else is looking. And um, faithfulness, I think, is one of the, the most important uh, uh, characteristics to develop in our life. If you go through um, the Psalms, it talks about God being faithful and loving kind. And it says that over and over again. It's almost sisters, uh, sisterhood. Uh, phrases in the Psalms talking about the character of God. And I think faithfulness um, is something that God would want us to develop, faithfulness in how we handle things, faithfulness in how we uh, act to other people. And uh, the, the the part of, of faithfulness and being uh, faithful in little things uh, leads to big things, because Jesus said, if I can't trust you in the little things, how can I ever trust you with true riches? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think God had honored us in our firm by being faithful in the little things. We used to save the rubber bands and the paper clips just to be frugal, to be faithful in taking good care of our clients' money because we didn't want to spend more than we had to so we could keep our fees low and better serve the client.
0: I love that. I want to go back to the world's economy versus God's economy real fast. How do you balance living in the world but following God's economy? Because the money is necessary. You need to pay the bills, you need to do these things, but you also want to be good stewards of that. And that might be the key even there too. But So how do you live in the world's economy but operate under God's authority in God's economy?
2: Well, I think that's a journey that we will all go on and it'll take us our lifetime to figure out. I've never been a very balanced person. Uh, I've always been one side or the other. Uh, I think Jesus was perfectly imbalanced. He was perfect in both extremes. And uh, when you say, how do you balance uh, living in the world and following God's principles? I think that you have to basically follow God's principles, and you live in the world with those principles. Mm. Um, It doesn't mean that you're perfect or that you're a goody two-shoes. It just means that you understand principles, and you follow them the best you can. Because we're broken people, we will fail, and that's what redemption and forgiveness is about. But I think that if you don't know God's principles uh, or read the Word to find those out, you will um, be certainly living in the world's economy. And it isn't until you start understanding what uh, God's economy is through very simple, basic, biblical principles then uh, you won't know how to follow. Mm,
0: I love that. I want to move on to the, the second part. This is God's business theme. Businesses have themes. Finance has themes. Architecture has themes. But what is God's ultimate business theme uh, within business? What does that look like for you?
2: Well, I, as, I, as I was studying the, uh, the Gospels, <clears throat> I, I kept asking the Lord, I said, how do I put the Gospels together with all the business principles? And he very clearly began to reveal to me over a period of time that what was the most important commandment is to love God. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as I began to think about that, I said, it's pretty simple. The golden rule is God's thing. You do what's best for others and you do for uh, others what's best for them in business. And he said, well, that doesn't make sense. I need to look out for myself. And I said, well, Let's say you're serving someone and you take really good care of them and you do for them what you would want them to do for you in business, and they sense that, they will come back to you for more and more business. So the more I serve and do what's best for someone else, it solidifies a relationship and, and brings back repeat business. Hmm. Um, I think that all business principles in the Bible that I found in the Gospels sit upon uh, the foundation of love for the other guy its the golden rule.
0: Yeah. But Raymond, people are hard to love. There's people out there that I don't necessarily want to love. How do you push past that? How do you love the people who are seemingly unlovable?
2: Well, that's a journey and I'm not good at it either. Uh, Some guys really make you mad and some guys you just don't like and I think that's okay. But you can also treat them in a way that what would you want them to do for you? and My uh, stepdad taught me a real important principle Uh, when I was young. He uh, gave a candy bar to me and said, split it with your sister. Hmm. And so, you know, the first thing is you want to split it unfairly and take the big piece. But then he said, then let her pick the piece. And so I thought, huh. So that means that when I shared the candy bar, it was exactly in half because I didn't want the little piece. But what what it also drove me to think about is what is best for the other person? Why don't you offer the other person the bigger piece? Don't you think that person would like you better and treat you better later on? So um, I think it led me to the the business concept of deference, deferring to others Mm. and doing what's best for others and not doing always what's best for you because many times when you do what's best for other people, it will turn out to be what's best for you as well.
0: Right, so what did that look like with working with Walmart at such a young age? Uh, You serving, loving Walmart, was there anything in there that separated you and made you different from other people that they were looking at bringing on?
2: Well, uh, a a real easy way uh, to take advantage of a client is to uh, exaggerate on the amount of time you spend on a project and bill them for more than the time you spend, or you fudge on your expenses, Or, um, you know, you cut corners in in quality of work. And I always tried to give uh, Walmart the highest quality work I I could do because I wanted to work for the king of kings, not just for Walmart, even Mm -hmm. though they're kings of retail. Right. (laughs) And uh, so I always tried to do the quality, but even in the expenses, uh, I kept coming back to the— to. Luke that said, if you're faithful to Lily, be faithful to much. So even in my expenses, um, when I'd eat out or uh, a hotel or a car rental, I'd make sure that it would uh, be the cheapest I could possibly get for Walmart because in their mind, uh, cutting costs so that they could serve their customer better was their goal. And so my goal was to treat Walmart as my customer and have my lowest price to them as well. And so on the little things, when no one was looking like expenses, I would uh, make sure that I uh, had the the most fair, honest, and cheapest I could possibly get. And as a side note, one of the vice presidents of Walmart one time did a secret audit of our expenses, Mm -hmm. and he could not find anything that was out of line or was excessive. And he said, you know, I thought I would find that. But until I went through all your receipts for a period of time and saw that you truly did what we had asked said it just drove home uh, the integrity of your firm and they gave us more work as a result.
0: Mm, that's amazing. And I think that boiled down to stewardship. Stewarding what's got what God has given you and then what you've been entrusted with with other people's money. So talk about stewardship and how that has led your business model or even your personal life as mm-hmm. well.
2: Well, that's a that's a long answer. Uh, it'd take a long time to answer. Right. That. But stewardship, I think we're all created for stewardship. I feel that God gave me the ability to uh, build, uh, the company that I founded, uh, for the purpose primarily of stewardship into his kingdom. And by that, I mean, I would generate profits through the business, uh, through my employees. Those, um, profits would be distributed, uh, first, uh, to take care of my employees, uh, what was left from that. We would take care of expenses in the firm, what was left for that. Of that, we would uh, take and and, uh, reinvest in the company to be sure we had a healthy firm. And if there were money left over, then I would take that money uh, as the owner of the firm or distribute it to my business partners later on. So we wouldn't take it off the top. We'd take it off the bottom. Mm -hmm. And with that money uh, that came to me personally, uh, then I knew that it was really not my money, but I was entrusted with that money from God, and then I would steward that personally so stewardship started with taking good care of the client and, and then taking good care of your employees once you receive money and taking good care of the economic engine you're developing through your business. And then finally uh, taking the money home as the owner was kind of the last uh, the last part of that. Now, what do I do with it personally? Money, um, I we don't spend all we make and right. my wife Marydell and I would set money aside and we would not hoard it, but we call it storing for future distribution. And God had called us to be stewards in in his kingdom and to fund uh, uh, things in the kingdom, such as uh, ministries or not-for-profits or church, even building other businesses uh, so that we'll have an impact on God's
1: kingdom.
0: I love that concept. It's It truly is an upside-down version of business, and what a lot of business models or CEOs or or C-level, C-suite people do is taking money off of the bottom. Kind of expound on that. Break that down even more. I love the kind of flow chart you did, taking care of your client, taking care of your employee, the expenses of the firm. Then you reinvest in the firm, and then finally it gets back into what I'm taking home that just creates loyal, loyalty within your, your customers and your clients. So kind of break that down even more, taking off the bottom.
2: Well, you know, uh, I think that if you're faithful, literally be faithful much. And when God sees faithfulness, it's not a prosperity gospel thing. Right. It's just like we would do if we had someone working with us and we found them faithful— and we did a background on them, or we kind of snuck around and checked on them when they weren't looking, or they knew we weren't looking, and we found out they were really faithful, then we would entrust them with more and more. And Jesus talked about a steward that if he's faithful, he'll give him even more to steward as his reward. And so I understood that uh, from an early age in business that God really did give me the ability to build a firm and generate income. He also gave me the ability uh, to uh, distribute. And so once I would save, then uh, we had the ability to distribute into other things. And so all my life's uh, goals in the last number of years is to find out what's the best stewardship opportunities of the profit that we take. Um, We just know it's not ours to keep. Uh, The biggest biggest area we we like to steward into is taking care of those that cannot take care of themselves. Hmm. And I think that will eventually uh, lead, uh, lead me to believe that all business is created uh, to develop economic engines to take care of people that can't take care of themselves.
0: Right. And that's the, n- the next part of this business by design is God's ultimate design for business is that it's an engine that generates profit to help people. And so ha- break that down for your business specifically. What was God's ultimate design for, for your business, for your architecture firm?
2: Well, as I realized there was no way as a 27-year-old guy could develop a relationship with the world's largest architectural client and then have that client for over 30 years didn't make sense. And so I realized it was something greater than myself and that certainly wasn't a result of my talent. It was an entrustment from God. And so once I realized that, it's very scary. It just Mm -hmm. scares, uh, uh, as as I say very carefully, it scared the hell out of me because it, not that my salvation but that I would stand before Jesus at some point and have to give an accounting to what had been entrusted to me. Right. So with that being said, Mary Dell and I decided that we would not take possession of the money that was entrusted to us, but we would use it wherever we were directed. So we kept our lifestyles at a moderate level. We never took ownership of the big money that we made or the, the profits. And then we began to ask God, where do you want your money to go? And through developing relationships with others, we were able to begin to invest in in ministries, in not-for-profits, and in business, and so some of the things that we've invested in. Do you want me to share a little bit? A couple of the other businesses. Please, that be, love that. Be kind of fun. <clears throat> so one of the businesses we um, invested in uh, well over ten years ago was the movie business. So we helped two young filmmakers uh, get started in the uh, in the movie business, and yeah. as a result, we've produced now five movies. Wow. And uh, the one that came out last year, I can only imagine, was a number one independent film in America. Mm. So investing in young men to help them start a movie company, we invested in the movies. Uh, I don't suggest movies as an investment, means. <laughs> I was investing in two young men that did make it uh, in the movie business, but right. I was investing in them and not what they did. Mm. Another thing we did, we invested in a honey company in Africa. Um, a long story on that, but uh, suffice it to say, it started out with just a few hives, and it grew over a, a ten-year period to have seventy-five thousand beehives wow. in Central Africa. And last harvest, we produced uh, five hundred tons of of honey. That's and a lot of honey. That's a lot. It's a sweet business. it, <laughs> really is. it is. But you know, with that though, we employ about nine thousand villagers, and uh, becomes a big source of their income. So we employ nine thousand people. And uh, we provide social good um, to th- uh, the Central African continent. Another business was uh, we helped fund uh, and start, uh, ca- well, we capitalized a, a jewelry business in China uh, that um, helps girls that, uh, that are exploited and in uh, trouble and in the sex trade, and they bring them out to make the jewelry, and then we can get them out uh, mm-hmm. by providing them employment, health, uh, homes and food and things like that so they can get out of their uh, situation and be productive and it's a for-profit business. The businesses we've developed are for-profit right They're not for-profit businesses they are for-profit but yet they're doing kingdom work and uh, taking care of um, the least of these and so uh, we've done uh, uh, other businesses that include diabetes screening, uh, starting uh, other agricultural businesses in Africa and uh, things like that. So we look for those kinds of opportunities that have double and triple bottom lines so that it not only does social good, but it employs people and it makes money. And that's a good thing in God's economy if you use it right.
0: Right. And I was listening to someone talk the other day and they were talking about a nonprofit that they were running and they're like, hey, we're not a nonprofit. We are for impact. We're for making a difference. And we are going to use what God has given us to make a difference. And that was, that is what you and your wife and your company are doing through this economic engine. And it's cool. These five these five things that you feel called to, to help people out with, you're feeding the hungry, satisfying the thirsty, welcoming the strangers, clothing the naked, and, and visiting the prisoners. Where did that idea come from uh, in your business?
2: Well, uh, I was scared to death when I read Matthew 24 and 25 and realized that a lot of the things that we were passionate about uh, in giving uh, money to did not include the poor. Mm. It did not include those that that were, as Jesus told uh the disciples, the least of these. In Matthew twenty five he's talking about sheep and goats. And he said, Some will be sheep and some will be goats. And they asked, Well who will be what? He said, Well those that feed the poor, feed the hungry, satisfy the thirsty, visit the strangers, they will be my sheep. Those that don't hear my voice and don't do that will be goats. And the goats will be cast away, but the sheep will enter into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that really scared me because I said, you know, I've been given all these good things, but I've ignored the poor. And so I think the the Lord really began to change my heart to say, well, I want you to take care of those that need uh, care. I want you to, to be involved in things that really uh, help the poor. And I classify the poor as anyone that basically... They can't take care of themselves. Everything from the unborn child to the elderly person that has dementia, mm-hmm. all the way to the prisoners and the orphans and the widows, and all the way to the immigrants and the um, and the abused and uh, all those are the poor. And I think we're called as as men and women of righteousness to give our resources to help take care of those because we want to be a sheep when we stand before Jesus.
0: Right. Yeah, that's amazing. And that is God's design for business that you are an economic engine that that creates profit uh and and they use it for good. And one of the best quotes in the book, I underlined it, I highlighted it, I plastered it on the wall in our in our room is I argue that the ultimate design for business of uh, of business within God's economy is to become an economic engine that funnels profits to help those in need. Mm-hmm. So that's working in God's economy. That's that's working in God's business theme which is love and stewardship. And then in ultimately God's design for business. Any final words on God's ultimate business design I think from your Zach, years I think of you wisdom? hit it,
2: man. i tell you what, you you, you read my book, I can tell because you've asked <laughs> me all the things that I wanted to say and what I was trying to say in the business, so great cliff notes, my friend.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it. It's an amazing book. I challenge anybody listening to, to go find it, to go get it. Is, where, uh, where specifically can they find it? They can
2: get it. The easiest thing is probably Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. You can get the book on Amazon. Uh, it's at Barnes & Noble online. Um, it's at most uh, Christian bookstores, um, but uh, Amazon is where uh, – Amazon, Walmart, those kind of places will carry my books, typically online. Right. Uh, they, I roamed Barnes & Noble and couldn't find it on the shelves. I was not disappointed but not surprised either. So <laughs> books on Christian business are not uh, not the most popular books in secular bookstores. No, they're right?
0: few and far between, but yeah. this is one you need yeah. to read. And Walmart better carry your book. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Walmart better carry it. But – Raymond, one last question we love asking people is, uh, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, boy. Looking back, what does 20-year-old Raymond Harris need to hear? More importantly, what does 20 or, <clears throat> 22-year-old Zach Funderburg need to hear right now?
2: Well, uh, that's, a, that's a phenomenal question. I'm glad you asked it. Uh, there are several things I would say, but one of the things I did when I was your age is I began to ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us, and he'll give it to us generously. So I started seeking wisdom in my uh, late, uh, my early 20s, uh, actually late teens, and uh, asked God, would you give me wisdom? And so I think wisdom is something that we should seek all of our lives, and I believe God will give it to us. I think the second thing that I would I think is critical if you want to understand the character of Jesus is humility. And I think if a man and woman could seek wisdom and then humility, uh, I think they'd do well. Mm -hmm. And then compassion is the third thing I would seek after because we can know the truth and espouse the truth, but we don't do it with love. Uh, It doesn't really do us any good. And so I'm, uh, the last thing I was learning as, I, uh, as I've been growing in the Lord is, is, is really learning the importance of compassion and love for others. Uh, what I would encourage you to, to be able to develop these three things uh, is to learn how to abide in Christ. And I have known that phrase all my Christian life. But What does it really mean to abide in Christ? And abiding means dwelling. Or spending time with or being nurtured by. And so I would encourage people to learn, <clears throat> excuse me, how to abide in Christ, how to get to know and love Him. And the only way you can do that is spending time. You can't do it in a 15 minute quick devotional while you're uh, driving to work or listening to a podcast. You really need to sit and be quiet and listen. And to abide means to stay and to, uh, Sit under the wings of, in my opinion. So abiding in Christ is very important. I think it'll it prove it's very good preventative medicine to avoid uh, propensities that would cause us to sin. And then um, just habits to develop. It'd be uh, I would encourage you to memorize Scripture. Put the uh, put the Word of God in your heart. Read the Scripture, and then pray the Scripture. And I think developing those habits of discipline will allow you to start abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is critically important if you're going to develop the righteous character to take that with you to heaven. And then uh, just ask God what He wants you to do. If you, I think the character of a man woman is right. The, the mission will fall into place.
0: Well, Raymond, thank you so much for that wisdom. I hope we heed it in the future business leaders of America who are listening to this podcast and go change the world uh, for good because of your wisdom. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you.